In less than a month, voters in Cook County will make a consequential choice for the future of our criminal justice system. Welcome to the first of two WGN debates for Cook County State's Attorney. Good evening, I'm Tamon Bradley. And I'm Paul Lisnick. Tonight we're going to hear from the Democratic candidates who hope to lead the second largest prosecutor's office in the nation. Let's introduce the candidates. First up, incumbent State's Attorney Kim Fox. There are also three challengers on the ballot. They are Donna Moore, Bill Conway, and Bob Ferretti. Now, before we begin, guys, let's set some ground rules. Each of you will have one minute to answer the questions uh, that we give to you. You'll have an opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal if your name gets mentioned. Now, you've been uh, provided with a countdown clock, so you can uh, stay on track. We'll make sure you do. So let's get to it. You'll each have one minute for your opening statement. We'll go in alphabetical order, beginning with Bill Conway. Hi, my name's Bill Conway. I was born and raised in Chicago, and I'm married, and I have a three-month-old daughter. I was in the state's attorney's office from 2006 to 2012 and had a wonderful time there. Started off in misdemeanors, worked in traffic, worked in bond court, handled violent crime, but really spent the bulk of my time in the Public Corruption and Financial Crimes Unit and handled cases where you had to really deliberately follow money to get to a perpetrator or the root cause of a problem. I'm also a Navy veteran, currently a, currently a reservist. I was deployed last year to Qatar and Afghanistan, and my job over there was figuring out where does the Taliban get its money from so we could attack those money sources so they couldn't buy weapons to attack us, our troops. And it's those experiences that have led me to run for state's attorney on a platform of first, balancing our criminal justice reform efforts, second, getting after our gun crime epidemic by really disrupting the supply chain that brings all these guns here, and third, getting politics out of the state's attorney's office. And thank you to WGN for having us. Thank you very much, Bob Ferretti. Thank you. I have a vision for all of Cook County, and that is safe streets and strong neighborhoods. And that is why I'm running for state's attorney. I say to those who share my embarrassment about the current office holder, I need your help. I will conduct myself as state's attorney the same way as I did as alderman. No campaign contribution, no call from anyone, no matter how important or powerful, and no corrupt political boss will influence a single decision I make. Cook County has been made the laughing stock of the nation. The open warfare between her office and, and law enforcement must end. We must stop coddling violent criminals and shoplifting felons. It shows an unexpected, uh, unacceptable disrespect for the victims in, uh, of crime, business owners, taxpayers, and police officers who put their lives on the line every single day. All my life, I've stood up for those who have been ignored, bypassed, or streamrolled by society. Removing her and restoring the dignity of that office is what I'm going to do. Thank you very much. All right, and Kim Fox, your one minute starts right now. Thank you. When I took office in 2016, it was the bloodiest year we'd seen in almost two decades. We had a lack of trust between communities and the police and, and prosecutors who were there to serve them. We were known as the false confession capital of the United States. We were far from a model of criminal justice for the nation. In the last three years, we've seen a reduction in violent crime due to the work of our gun crime strategies unit. Where we were once the false confession capital of the United States, we lead the country in the vacating of wrongful convictions. We have worked to keep our community safe by focusing our priorities on violent crime. I know the toll of violent crime. I grew up in one of the toughest neighborhoods in the country in Cabrini Green. I know what it's like to hide in bathtubs out of fear of violence. And that's why we've used our limited resources to go after those who are driving violence and also provide legitimacy and credibility 
to our justice system by enacting meaningful criminal justice reform that also keeps our communities safe. Ms. Fox, thank you. And finally, Donna Moore. Thank you. My vision is a, commun is a community united against crime and corruption. It's based on my experience advocating for justice, representing the people as a state and federal prosecutor. I win cases because I go after the truth. Meanwhile, Fox peddles a false narrative own, about owning Jussie Smollett, her partnership with police, and using statistics to give us a false sense of security. Ask cops, shop owners, moms. They'll tell you the real story. Deep distrust, lawlessness, fear for their kids' safety. Conway uses dad's pay-to-play money to try to buy this election and cover up his lack of legal credentials. Fioretti, professional candidate, never a prosecutor. It's time to stand up for truth and say no to politics and money. I'm an independent. I'm not tied to a political machine or an ATM from a billionaire. And that puts fear in the corrupt political order. Ms. We Moore, deserve thank, more. Ms. Moore, thank you very First much. Name, time Donna. Is, thank you. Time has expired. Let's begin by talking about the case that has made this office the subject of headlines across the country. Earlier this month, a special grand jury decided to indict actor Jesse Smollett for allegedly orchestrating a racist and homophobic attack against himself in 2019. State's Attorney Fox's office initially charged the actor, but later dismissed all counts. Ms. Fox, Special Prosecutor Dan Webb says at the time of the initial charges that your office concluded the evidence in the case was strong. What new evidence did your office discover between the original charges and the dismissal that changed your view? One minute, please. Uh, to mine, the special prosecutor charged this case in the same way that we charged this case. No different accounts, same charges. Our office disposed of this case with the Mr. Smollett paying a fine as well as doing community service. But I want to be clear. This race isn't about one case. This race is about the enactment of meaningful criminal justice reform and the status quo that wanted to see things the way that they are. Those who have concerns about this case um, can look at how we've handled the entirety of our office and our record. This has been a record about having criminal justice reform, diverting low-level offenses out of our criminal justice system so that we can reallocate those resources to fight violent crime. Now, we could have handled this case better. But that is not the totality of what we've done in this office, and we will continue to serve the people of Cook County, those who care about violence in their communities, those who wonder and worry about their personal safety in the way that we've done so. Just to follow up, and we'll give you 30 seconds, sure. why did you not require Smollett to admit guilt? You know, Taman, we have litigated this issue, and again, we have made a decision in the state's attorney's office to prioritize violent crime over nonviolent offenses. I cannot justify to the people of Cook County in a place where we have been a national spectacle related to violence in our communities, the use of our limited resources on nonviolent offenses. It is why we have increased the use of diversion by 25% in our office, and there have been 5,000 less people prosecuted for low-level nonviolent offenses. Uh, Ms. Fox, just one question about something Sorry. you did after you stepped away from the case in the colloquial sense. Following uh, your communication with Michelle Obama's former chief of staff and a member of Smollett's family, on March 8, 2019, you sent a text to First Assistant State's Attorney Joseph Magatz, who became the final decision maker in the case. You said, so I'm recused, but when people accuse us of overcharging cases, 16 counts on a class four becomes exhibit A. How is this not trying to influence the outcome of the charges? I will point out that the special prosecutor charged this case with six counts, not 16. 
our office, again, has been about making sure that we use our resources appropriately. What I want to make sure is that when we use our prosecutorial powers, when we have the decision to charge, that we do it in a manner that is fair and that is just. And so, again, our focus is on violent crime. In a city like Chicago that had 700 plus murders in 2016, that's what the people are asking us to do. Deal with the violence in our communities. All right, thank you very much. Paul? Ms. Fox, one question for me on that. Is Dan Webb wrong to overrule your decision to drop all charges? Dan Webb charged the same charges that we charged. And so the, looking at the facts and the evidence, the same facts and the evidence that we had, it is not surprising that he charged this case in the manner that the state's attorney's office previously charged. All right, Ms. Mort, you may want to weigh in on it. Yes, Ms. Fox still isn't telling us the truth about what happened in that case. And that's why the people have lost confidence in her administration. Because when you blow a big case, people don't trust you on any other case. We know that she charged 16 counts. Is she saying she didn't have responsibility for that? And a few weeks later, she dropped the charges before a special prosecutor was appointed. Why didn't Kim Fox stand up in front of the people and say, here's why I dropped the charges. Here's what happened. And instead, she's been hiding behind a special prosecutor, so she doesn't tell us what happened. The special prosecutor found that there was no other case handled like this in the office, and, and yet Ms. Fox continues to say that there were other cases like that. So that's the issue. The issue is there was a right way to handle the Jussie Smollett case, but it wasn't done by this office, and that's why people have lost confidence. All right, let me open this up to the rest of you. Dan Webb says the state's attorney's office was unable to provide evidence that they treated Smollett the same as similar cases. If you are elected, what concrete procedures will you put in place to make sure the public knows what is behind your position? Please be specific. Mr. Fioretti, we'll start with you one minute. Well, first of all, I wouldn't take a phone call from somebody who was important or powerful. It was clearly that's how this whole investigation went. Secondly, I, I think I would not treat uh, somebody like Jesse Smollett differently than anybody else, uh, no matter what is said out of it. I think we s sometimes see in an impeachment of a witness, we ask, are you lying then or are you lying now? Uh, Ten days ago, two weeks ago, Ms. Fox said uh, before one of the panels on, uh, before the Tribune or sometimes uh, that she had the highest regard for Dan Webb. Then the day later when the, everything came out, she said he was part of, uh, you know, uh, a friend of uh, the AG bar uh, and tried to take away his credibility. I mean, what is the truth in this matter? And again, I think the question should be, tell us any other case that, you, uh, that your office dropped as a prosecutor and uh, of somebody who filed right, a Mr. false report. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Report. Mr. Conway, would you like to chime in? You can't have a situation where politically connected people get better deals. And uh, clearly in this case, that's exactly what happened here. And I can promise you that not only are we gonna maintain that uh, you know, we will maintain proper data to make sure that that's the case, but also, I'm not going to be responding to politicians who, who ask, for, ask for favors or contact our office on that because it is important that the state's attorney's office be a beacon of public trust. And clearly in this case, Ms. Fox uh, lost that public trust in the fact that she lied about being recused from this case and also lied about how the office always handles cases this way. And you, and you just can't have that at the state's attorney's office. It needs to be a beacon of public trust. All right, Ms. Box, your name was invoked. 30-second rebuttal. Thank you. We are the most transparent prosecutor's office in the country. We already release 
thousands of data points of felony case level data going all the way back to 2011, where people can see how we make charging decisions. I also want to point out, there was a case in May of 2019 where a woman in Grant Park said that she was stabbed by a black man. This news station covered that case, and it was determined that that was unfounded. That case wasn't even called into the prosecutor's office. And so while it's not exactly like the Smollett case, these types of cases aren't All right, Ms. Fox, thank you very much. Come on. Mr. Conway, you have repeatedly said that you will end politics in this office. No. Dan Webb clearly states that his decision to prosecute Jesse Smollett is not evidence that anyone engaged in wrongdoing, as you suggested. What proof do you have that this office is corrupt? One minute. Oh, geez. Well, I mean, first of all, the most notable thing is not only is, is uh, what we saw happen with Smollett, but we also have the situation with what happened with Ed Burke. She held a, you know, ran as a reformer last time, but then held a fundraiser at Ed Burke's house. And then shortly after getting into office, provided him with a $2 million property tax rebate. The, you know, held the ultimate uh, insider right of passage. And we're not just talking about some random politician. We're talking about perhaps the biggest favor trader in the history of, of Chicago politics. And I can't believe, by the way, she is still holding on to that money. But I will make sure that we do not have any conflicts of interest in that office. And I can promise you that when I am elected, I am not going to owe anything to anybody except the voters of Cook County. And that's why I can promise you that there is going to be a public corruption reckoning here in Cook County. I, I would imagine that Ms. Fox probably wants to follow up on Ed Burke, but I have a follow-up for Please. you. Uh, you're already flooding our airways with campaign ads touting uh, your client, Candace Clark, who, yeah. you, who was accused of filing a false police report. You say she didn't get the small let deal. Is it a coincidence that you decided to take up her case just three months before you announced that you were running for Cook County State's Attorney? And isn't that bringing politics into this process? You know, I wouldn't call it a coincidence. I read, I read about somebody who was receiving unequal justice in the newspaper, and I reached out, and I took her case, and I'm happy to do it. And I, you know, I feel, I feel bad for Candace that, A, she had to read about the deal that Smollett got and then had to do all these other things, including going through an, a rigorous eight-month diversion program that she graduated from this past Wednesday, which I, I'm proud of her, but we had to go to court every month. She had to visit a probation officer every month. She had to maintain a job. She had to pay restitution. She wanted to leave Cook County. She all had right, to right, get thank permission you very, to judge. Thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Fox, did you want 30 seconds to respond? There's so much to respond to, Taman. Uh, first and foremost, when we received a contribution from Mr. Our Alderman Burke, the moment we found out he was indicted, it was returned. We vet our contributions from our, our, our donors to make sure that they meet our criteria. If they don't, they're returned. Mr. Conway has been out of the office for a while, and I understand that he doesn't know how our office works and the way that we handle tax rebates. And the fact that he will say and do anything to get elected is part of the reason that we needed criminal justice reform in Cook County by this win at all costs, even despite the truth. All right, thank you very much, Paul. All right, let's move on to another topic that is on the minds of Chicagoans. There. The city murder rate is down overall, but the threat of violence still looms large for many. There has been a long debate over exactly how to get gun offenders off the streets. What's your specific plan? Mr. Fioretti, we'll start with you. Please be specific. Well, first of all, uh, depending on how and where they come from, I'll work with the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, to make sure that we have a fair and equitable system in terms of charging. I think we need to start charging offenders that break the law and don't downgrade those charges. Look at what happened on the person on the uh, L the other day. Uh, seven or eight arrests in the last uh, year this person was. Um, we have to start charging violent offenders 
and making sure that we use pre-trial detention the right way to keep violent offenders off the street. And we, we must also rebuild the relationship between our police, uh, police officers, our community, and state's attorney's officers uh, to make sure that people have a full understanding that they're taken care of. You know, this revolving door that happens over on the bail reform, people are afraid. They see the same offender who they just were testifying against or a witness to the next day. It doesn't help us in our justice system. All right, thank you, Mr. Fioretti. Ms. Moore, As, one minute. Thank you. The state's attorney has to be the leader in the criminal justice system. And right now, we need to bring back a partnership with law enforcement that we don't have. There's no trust between law enforcement and the state's attorney's office because there's been a wedge driven between those two, the two most important parts of our justice system. So we have to charge better. We have to stop undercharging and actually charging our violent crime cases and our cases with guns and not reduce them to misdemeanors and let people back out on the street. Sheriff Dart says we have over 50 murder defendants out on the street on elect electronic monitoring. That can't happen. According to the sheriff, the system can't take that. So the first thing we have to do is develop the partnership, reinstate trust, be out in our community so our communities learn to trust us and law enforcement again, and then do a better job charging, trying our cases, and, and um, advocating for pretrial detention of the dangerous among us. All right, thank you, Ms. Fox. One minute to you. Thank you. One of the things I'm proud of is the fact that we created the first of its kind gun crime strategies unit in this county. We took prosecutors who were handling low-level offenses that were not keeping our community safe and dedicated them to fighting violent crime in the neighborhoods. We deployed our prosecutors to the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city. And what we found by research from the University of Chicago that has validated the work that in those districts where we put our prosecutors, violent crime was reduced at a rate higher than the rest of the city. It was so successful, in fact, that the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, had asked that we put our prosecutors in additional uh, police districts across the city because it works. In those same districts, we were able to file more stringent charges against repeat gun offenders. And so the fact of the matter is, as we've used our resources to target violent crime, which is what the people of Cook County expect, we've been able to see results by being innovative, thoughtful, and using our resources appropriately. All right, Ms. Fox, thank you. Mr. Conway, once again, looking for your plan to get gun offenders off the streets. Well, last what year in Chicago, we had 492 murders, and which is greater than we had in 2015, not to mention murders are up 43% so far this year. Uh, first off, I'm not shy about this. I think if somebody commits a crime with a gun, I think they should go to jail. And I think that because I fundamentally believe that more guns on the street does not make us safer. But if we are really gonna get after the gun crime epidemic we have here, we need to disrupt the supply chain that brings all these guns here. Work our way from the one person who commits a crime with an illegal gun up to the people, the traffic in guns by the dozens and the hundreds. Because if we're not, do and it's worth noting that last year the Chicago Police Department seized over 10,000 guns. Uh, and four years ago they were seizing just 7,000. And the problem is what we keep doing is we're, we're, we're fighting a monster in the gun crime epidemic, but we just keep cutting off its finger. We gotta work our way up to the head. All right, thank you. Come on. Last September, 18-year-old Traja Kelly, who was pregnant, was shot and killed while walking near her Southside home. It happened just three months after she testified at the trial of her cousin's accused killer. Many witnesses refused to come forward for fear that they'll suffer the same fate. 
What is your specific plan to keep witnesses safe? Ms. Fox, one minute. Certainly. I certainly wish that we had more resources to devote to witness relocation programs. We have a robust victim witness unit within our office that is dedicated to making sure that our victims and witnesses are having their needs met, whether it's around their personal safety, counseling, transportation to and from court. The reality is the need is great. It's part of the reason, again, why we have to focus our attention on violent crime. We don't have the monetary resources within the state's attorney's office, and we've continued to advocate at the state level for increased funding for witness protection. In the meantime, we have to be able to, again, make sure our focus is on ensuring that when people come to our courthouses and testify, that they feel as though they are safe. We do that, again, by having our assistants in the neighborhoods, getting to know these communities before they even come to court. But the reality is, unless we have an additional influx of resources to help us deal with the number of people who are fearful to come and give them the resources that they need, this will be, continue to be a challenge. Thank you, Ms. Fox. Uh, Ms. Uh, Moore, one minute. How do we keep witnesses safe? First of all, when we talk about resources of the office, let's not waste resources. Let's not waste resources on hiring outside firms in the civil division where the head of civil kicks back cases at double the county rate to his old law firm. Let's not waste resources on hiring outside firms to represent the office to shuttle papers over to Dan Webb, the special prosecutor. But the second thing is, is let's be smart and give our prosecutors the ability to ask for pre-trial detention and to advocate for it. Let's not have it come from the, uh, the main office that they can't advocate for pre-trial detention. We have to keep our victims safe and our witnesses safe. And the reason why our crime rate and the solving of certain violent crimes is low in this city is because nobody feels safe coming forward when you have a murder on the street of a young victim and a, and a witness in this case. Mr. Ferretti, one minute. Uh, I just said it and I think they've summarized everything I've been talking about. I think we need to start charging the offenders uh, who break the law. At the same time, we need to use pre-trial detention uh, to keep violent people off the street. I said, I, I said it a few minutes ago about people who, if this revolving door on bail, and then the next day the witness to the crime sees that person out there, they're not going to testify at the trial. They're worried about their own safety. We hear it over and over again. I walk through the neighborhoods. I'm willing to take any one of these candidates to the south and west sides. They will hear that. The reason they don't want to come forward, because we know who's committing the crimes. We know who the gun offenders are, the big drug uh, traffickers are, the people that are dealing with human trafficking out there. We all know it. It's time for good people to stand up. But the state's attorney's office with a $150 million budget can find the money to protect our witnesses. All right. Mr. Conway, one minute. What's your specific plan to keep witnesses safe? Well, first off, we can't be afraid to use. We can't be afraid to use pretrial detention when we're talking about somebody who has proven themselves to be a danger to the community, someone who's a violent offender, someone who has uh, committed a crime with a gun. Uh, additionally, uh, you know, when it comes to witness protection, we have to we have to be ready to use resources in that, even if it includes some of the investigators that are uh, that are part of the state's attorney's office. And beyond that, you know, we really have to. I'm excited that the Chicago Police Department is dedicating itself uh, uh, to community policing in the wake of uh, wake of the consent decree, as well as uh, Superintendent Beck here. And hopefully, those those three things together will will ensure that our witnesses are safe. All right, let's, let's move on. Uh, there is no love loss between Ms. Fox and the Chicago 
fraternal order of police. In fact, the police union has gone so far as to take out billboards okay. criticizing Ms. Fox's work. Uh, what is your specific uh, plan to patch up the relationship uh, between the state's attorney's office uh, and the rank-and-file police? Let's start with Bob Ferretti. One minute. Thank you. I have been endorsed by the fraternal order of police. In my last election against um, Tony Preckwinkle, I was endorsed by both the Black Lives Matter and the Fraternal Order of Police. I think we need to have our people. Listen, police officers are good. They're good, solid, decent citizens. They get up and they're facing trauma every day. I, who would want to live in these districts or, or work in the districts where, where the hundreds and thousands of, of gunshots are occurring and people are victims? This is not a game that we're playing out there. People are, uh, when first responders arrive on the scene, they see the blood, they see the brain matter, they see people that are dying. There's, you know, we need to improve relationships with it by having better trained officers, just like we need here in the state's attorney, better hiring, better practice, better discipline all the way across the board. But we need to back strong law enforcement. Thank you, Mr. Ferretti. Ms. Moore, one minute. Prosecutors and police need to work together, but we also need to understand and acknowledge that there has been past discrimination, particularly in our most vulnerable communities. And so we have to have a presence in those communities to start to rebuild trust, to rebuild trust with prosecutors, with police, and to rebuild trust between the police and prosecutors. And so that's the way that you start. You start by doing joint training. You understand what we need from our police officers every day. And they're, you know, our police officers, men and women, are good, but they also have to understand that nobody's above the law. And, and if you go in with that acknowledgement, the police appreciate it, the prosecutors appreciate it, we all know what we need. But it has to be a good working relationship, not only together, but with our communities. And we need to spend more time in the communities so they trust us to do the right thing. Thank you. Mr. Conway, repairing the relationship between the state's attorney's office and rank-and-file police. Well, I, when I was in the state's attorney's office, I had the opportunity to work with hundreds of great Chicago police officers and suburban police officers, people that uh, stayed up late crying with victims, people that lived on coffee for a week in order to get to, the, get to uh, you know, find, a, find a perpetrator. And I plan to support those law-abiding police officers. But by the same token, you know, I... I investigated and, and prosecuted, you know, I actually prosecuted three bad non-law-abiding police officers. And, you know, I remember when I first started, the first officer I prosecuted, people said to me, senior state's attorneys, Bill, you start prosecuting the police, they'll never work with you again. And I remember as soon as I convicted the first one, a uh, lot of police officers came to me and said, hey, Bill, appreciate you prosecuting that, that guy because he was making us all look bad. So it is important that, uh, that we're not afraid to hold them accountable because even the, the police know who the bad ones are as well. All right, thank you very much. Ms. Fox, repairing relations with the FOP. Thank you. I, I want to make the distinction. The rank and file members of the Chicago Police Department work with our office and our suburban partners as well, work with our office every single day. We have a strong relationship. The truth of the matter is they are witnesses on every case that we have. Their credibility and their legitimacy is important to our work. We have to work together. 
the same token, the leadership of the FOP, who has been an endorser of President Trump and the status quo, has chosen in these times of violence in our communities to focus their attention on petty squabbles. What I know about the leadership, to be clear, of the FOP is that when we're trying to resolve conflicts, trying to keep our communities safe, that there isn't room for back and forth and petty fights while communities are literally bleeding out. We have worked with the police on the ground, helping them with trainings, going out, developing manuals so that they can build stronger cases. And that's what the people of Cook County require, not fights and billboards, but action on violence in their communities. Ms. Fox, thank you very much. Paul? All right, a report from groups like the Chicago Appleseed Fund for Justice has praised Ms. Fox's policies for putting fewer African-Americans and Latinos in prison than her predecessor. How do you plan to balance between putting an end to mass incarcerations, but yet still being tough on crime? Ms. Moore, we're going to start with you. One minute. Sure. I think everybody wants bail reform uh, because it's the right thing to do. We should not criminalize poverty. But when you talk about bail, you need to see two things. Is the person a flight risk? Is the person a danger to the community? Those are the things that you have to look at. The criminal justice system is a case-by-case -case system, and you have to look at each case because there are no two cases alike. So when people talk about reform and, and uh, going away from a cash bail system, you, we have to understand what that means. New York is trying it. Their crime rate, is, crime rate is going up exponentially since the first of the year. We have to give our prosecutors the discretion to do the right thing and look at each individual case because we want to keep our community safe, but we also don't want to put people in jail merely because they can't afford the bond. All right, Mr. Conway, a check between mass incarceration and yet being tough on crime. One minute. Well, the first thing we have to, the first place we have to start is with drug crime. Drug crimes represent, give or take, 40% of all the felonies prosecuted in Cook County. And we need to fundamentally change the way we think about drug crime. Drug possession, we need to look at that as a public health problem. And as soon as, a, as, as we get somebody charged with drug possession, we need to divert them into treatment options as fast as we can. But that said, when there is somebody that is, uh, there are still people in this, in this city who will hand out free samples uh, in alleys the day before payday. Those people we gotta prosecute the hell out of. But the people, uh, but the real drug possession thing, that we need to start thinking about as a public health problem. And that is gonna change, uh, that is gonna change the way we prosecute crimes in this county and in this country. All right, Mr. Fioretti, once again, putting an end to mass incarceration, being tough on crime. One minute, sir. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Uh, the drug problem, we know. Uh, we have diversionary courts. It seems like uh, the other candidates have not been to the uh, criminal court system in quite a while. We have a mental health court. We have a drug court. We have a women's court. Uh, we have a uh, veterans court to deal with people who have the problems on first analysis, to divert them away from the, uh, what's happening. Free samples happen on the, uh, uh, on the west and south side. I can, I'd like to bring Mr. Conway there sometime uh, I, so I we can myself, see that. Bob, I'm and, and I'm glad you did, I'm glad you did. Uh, but you know, I, I listen to these answers here, and yes, we have a problem. We have a problem with our system, and, and during this next term in, uh, down in Springfield, they're going to be debating it. But Mr. Conway raised a point about uh, somebody, when he was prosecuting some of the uh, police officers, that somebody came up to him and said, you can't do that. That's 
undermining our criminal right. justice you, system Conway, do you need right 30 away. seconds to respond. No, I think that I think that he we're in agreement on that. Okay. In the sense that, uh, yeah, well, I'll take it though if you give it to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you don't but, need it. We're we're going to be good. All right, all right. Good. Ms. Fox, let me come to you again. The report praising you for your work on incarcerating fewer African Americans and Latinos than your predecessor. But let me give you one minute to address that. Certainly. I know Mr. Conway likes to play a progressive on TV, but in real life, Ooh. that means having to do the things that are necessary to reduce unnecessary incarceration. He talks about the fact that we do have a drug issue in Cook County, citing the statistics on our open data portal. The fact is that we do divert people out of the system, particularly for drug-related offenses, because they, that is a public health issue. I want to be absolutely clear. We had overrepresentation in our justice system because we were criminalizing poverty. I know that these are buzzwords that people running for office like to talk about, but the fact of the matter is we stopped prosecuting people in 2017 for or for driving on a suspended license because they couldn't pay their parking tickets. We did that to the ire of the FOP. Two years later, the, the city of Chicago passed an ordinance where they're not suspending licenses, and the state just uh, signed the bill that will give 55,000 people their licenses back. You can enact meaningful criminal justice reform and have public safety. In fact, you must do All right, both Ms. at Fox, the same time. Thank you time. very much. Let's turn to qualifications. She didn't mention me for that one. Let, let's, we'll get back to another question. Let, let's turn to uh, qualifications for this job. Ms. Moore, your private practice work has you involved in the gaming industry and dealing with compliance matters. In fact, you were the first general counsel to the Illinois Gaming Board back in the 90s. As gaming expands across the state, uh, briefly, will you recuse yourself from all related cases if elected? That can be a yes or no. If I have a conflict, we'll refer to the case to the Attorney General's office. All right. You've worked for a large law firm for several years. How have you stayed connected to the community during that period of time and the balance of your minute there? I've, I've done a lot of work. Look, I'm proud of my career. I've spent my 30 years plus as an advocate. I advocated for people who were victims of crime, who had family, uh, family members who were victims of crime. In private practice, I represent companies. I also represent individuals who are fighting against overreaching of government. I've gotten three young men pardoned. Uh, during, during my time. One took me 13 years, in fact, because Governor Blagojevich for a while didn't do pardons. So I've stayed connected. All right, thank you very much. Come on. Thank you, Paul. Mr. Conway, next question is for you. You've received about $8 million from your father and his associates at the Carlisle Group, uh, a wealthy private equity firm that he founded. Questions about the firm's activities have come up in this campaign, including the group of funding the production of tear gas used on protesters and paying millions of dollars to the well-connected Republican lobbyist Bob Shalander. Uh, Ms. Moore says you should give the money back. Uh, Mr. Conway, uh, what do you say to voters who are worried that the wealthy are propping up your candidacy? Well, I say this. I love my dad, but I've never worked at his firm. And if people want to, people want to attack him or me, that's fine. But I will tell you this. Right now, we have a state's attorney who's taken money from indicted Alderman Ed Burke indicted State Senator Marty Sandoval. From safe speed, indi more indictments coming. And I can promise you this, when I am elected, I won't owe anything to the corrupt political machine that we have had here in this town for longer than I've been alive. And I will owe everything to the voters, and we are going to clean up this town. If anyone had a follow, I can give you 30 seconds. Ms. Moore, yes, 30 seconds. Look, uh, Mr. Conway says he never worked at his dad's firm. 
He has worked for his dad. I don't know why we have to keep going over this. He works for an equity fund that his dad owns, and he has been the money manager for it for the last decade. So Con Mr. Conway says, follow the money. That's how you determine how things happen and how things work. If you follow his money, it goes to his father and his father's firm. And it's just another example of pay to play. And the Carlisle Group got kicked out of Illinois for that. And I don't trust Mr. Conway well, not to have politics. Thank you politics. very much, Ms. Moore. Uh, Mr. Conway, 30 seconds. Thank you. You, yeah. you know, I am, I am running for office to fix a system. We have for too long had a system that emboldens corrupt politicians. And I want voters to rest assured that I'm not going to owe that, that system anyway. And I've built a platform so that I don't have to. And that's why I can promise you there will be, there will be a public corruption reckoning in the city and this county when I'm elected. If I may. Uh, Ms. Fox, yes, 30 if seconds. If I may. Mr. Conway receives his money from the Carlisle Group, which has invested in weapons of mass destruction. They've invested in warfare. Mr. Conway, in announcing himself to the public, uh, talked about comparing their, our neighborhoods on the south and west side to places in Afghanistan. I do think that we have to follow the money. The fact of the matter is that the Carlisle Group has invested in militarized uh, weaponry, and we have to ask ourselves, what Mr. Conway's approach is to looking at our communities when he's already d described them right. in the same way okay. as war zones. Okay, that's 30 seconds. All right, thanks very much, Paul. Bob, you ready? Moving I keep, on to you. I keep being mentioned Stop. I keep being mentioned. We've got to move on. Just okay. All right. keep it in your notes. You'll All get right, the floor again. Right. Yep, go ahead. Mr. Fioretti, uh, you've yeah. often said you got into this race because people asked you to do so. So I'm curious, who specifically asked you to get into this race? And if you do win, does that not mean you will be beholden to them once you're in office? No, I think they were the people from the west side, the south side. They asked me, they came to me as a matter of fact. They heard about Bill Conway and they said no, and they, they started beginning petitions. I wasn't, uh, I got into this race a little bit late, yes. Uh, I don't have $8 million uh, or a father who can give me $8 million, but I have the qualifications because that's where we started. I have the qualifications as a special assistant attorney general for the state of Illinois under three attorney generals. I was appointed a special assistant state's attorney both in Cook County, Will County, and in DuPage County. I have the qualifications. I've been in federal court, state court, and I've litigated cases throughout this uh, state. Uh, you know. We have to look at what we're doing here. And this case is about experience, judgment, integrity. And I believe I have all of that. And a vote for me will be a vote for justice. Let me have a related follow-up with you. You have many years in office. You were alderman. You've run for state senator, mayor a couple of times. And some of your campaign staffers in the past have complained they weren't getting paid and even taking their cases to the state. How can you be trusted to oversee an office with thousands of employees? Well, first of all, in the first campaign, yes. There was an issue, it was brought to me later, uh, between a volunteer or whether she was on a payroll. I listened to my uh, campaign manager and uh, my lawyer at the time, and they said she was a volunteer. Uh, if I would have known anything otherwise, it would have been, uh, we would have made sure that she got paid. Um, you know, and in fact, I wanted to hire her uh, on my staff, um, but my campaign manager said no. Uh, they had somebody else in mind. All I right, Mr. Tell you, thank you uh, very much. Sorry, okay. come on. All right, thanks, Paul. Ms. Fox, your office has shifted some resources towards gun crimes and away from other offenses such as shoplifting. The office isn't pursuing felony charges for thefts under $1,000, even though the state's threshold is much lower. What's your rationale for that change? 
the state threshold is actually uh, much, much lower. The reality is when I came into office in 2016, we had a horrible year of violence with the number of homicides and the number of shootings. And when we looked at the data, the data showed that we were spending our resources going after low level shoplifting. And what most people don't know is that we have the lowest, one of the lowest thresholds for a felony in the country. 47 other states have a much higher threshold than Illinois does. And there is no justification that I could make to a city that was bleeding out of using our resources going after low-level offenses. But I also want to push back against the narrative that we aren't still holding people accountable. The reality is those people are still being charged with misdemeanors. And when we looked at how we were using our resources, even for those people who were going to prison for these shoplifting offenses while charged as felons, were going for short stints of time and getting out. It is important to us to use our resources appropriately, and I have to look the folks in the eye and say that we're not squandering away on low-level offenses, but keeping communities safe. Thank you, Ms. Fox. I want to bring in your challengers. Uh, thefts have become more brazen. In January, a group of teens ran into the Gucci store. They came out with uh, arms full of uh, merchandise. Uh, one of our news crews actually caught that. Uh, what's the message that's being sent to, to potential criminals, and do you agree with uh, what Ms. Fox is doing? Well. You know, when I look at retail theft, we really have to look at the intent behind it when we're talking about uh, how we're going to charge it. I mean, on one hand, we have your one-off retail thefts, uh, the extreme of that being a new mother stealing, uh, stealing baby formula. Uh, you know, those kind of cases we need to handle one way. But then we also have organized retail crime, and, that, and that's what we need to be handling at the, at the, at the uh, felony level. And clearly there's been an emboldening of that uh, as, as, your, as your crew witnessed firsthand. If oh, I, if well, I uh, may, Mr. Bradley. Yes, please. Yeah, Thank you. Yep. I think we have to also be careful in how we describe a retail theft and something else. We're absolutely right. People who are in organized rings should be held accountable, and that's exactly what we do in the state's attorney's office. We have a unit in our office that deals with organized retail theft rings. What you are describing is not a retail theft. And while I recognize that fear-mongering is the order of the day, to suggest that our retail theft policy has emboldened people to do the things that you've suggested goes back to rhetoric of the times of old. Uh, that is not the case that's happening here. People are being held accountable, particularly those who are in organized rings. O okay, Ms. Moore, 30 seconds. It's not fear-mongering. Go into the communities, talk to the retailers, talk to the security folks that are in the stores, and they will tell you that what is happening is there is no charging and that organized gangs are going in, stealing a particular just under $1,000 and walking out the door and waving to the security cameras. And by being emboldened, they then come in now with guns. And now you have a retail theft that's turned into an armed robbery because there's a sense of lawlessness of not being held accountable. All right, thank you. 30 seconds, Mr. Ferretti, let's bring you in. Well, first of all, I, I think the state's attorney's office knows about the uh, mer young merchant who was killed the other uh, month ago. Uh, and her office released the 12 and 13 year olds uh, to a seven, seven o'clock curfew. All of a sudden the office found out a little bit too late, they were released to the mother that they should go after uh, and pull them back in. I mean, the fear is real out there. Nobody is exciting it. We are seeing it and, and the lesson, crime does pay. Mr. Ferretti, thank you very much. Let's move on. In Cook County, the vast majority of people who are inside the courtroom are people of color. Mr. Conway, Mr. Ferretti, and Ms. Moore, if elected, how are you going to relate not only to people being accused of crimes, but also the victims of crimes who don't look like you? We'll start with you, Ms. Moore. Look, One minute. Thank you. I've spent a career 
advocating for people who don't necessarily look like me. So the, the idea is that you have to understand where people come from, what their issues are, and I've, I've done that. As I said, I've represented people, uh, I've helped witnesses, I've helped victims, I've helped people fight the system who are up against big government. That's not an issue. The issue is that you have to have a community that trusts you. You have to be out in the community, not just as a prosecutor who may charge someone and put somebody in jail, but as a prosecutor who actually cares about what's going on in the community. And that's what I intend to do as state's attorney. Mr. Ferretti, one minute. When I was first elected to Alderman, it was 78% African-American ward. I won by 72% of the vote. I was the first white guy since 1915. I believe I understand some of the problems that are in our communities. I will be out there. I will talk to people. I will make sure that we have confidence in our legal system, in our justice system. Because, uh, and people know that I've stood up for the under, those that uh, have been wrongfully convicted. People know I've tried to do the right thing my whole life. And we can talk about uh, fighting government, we can talk about this, we can talk about that, but the truth of the matter is we have to be in our communities. And I've been always a proponent of diversity of our police department and diversity of our state's attorney's office. I will ensure that we ha uh, reflect the office and as we go forward in the future here. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Conway, one minute. Yeah, no, I, I, I would echo some of that. I, we certainly, we must have a diverse office, an office that looks like, that looks like the, the communities that we serve. And I can also promise you that I will be a visible member of the, of the community. I, I am going everywhere in this county to let everyone know that I am going to be a state's attorney for everybody. I'm going everywhere in this county during my campaign and I'm going to continue to go everywhere in this county to let everyone know that I will represent them. But I will also say that in 2017, if someone was being sentenced on a felony, if the defendant was a white person, there was a 40% chance they'd go to prison. If they were Hispanic, there's a 44% chance they'd go to prison. If the defendant was black, there was a 58% chance they'd go to prison. And that's not right, and that's not the kind of world I want my daughter to grow up in. All right, thanks very much. Paul? Attacking President Trump has become a part of pretty much every Democratic candidate's agenda across the country. Ms. Fox, your office sued the Trump administration over changes to immigration policies, but you also have given the president some credit for signing some criminal justice legislation. The question will be for all of you, but what relationship should the Cook County State's Attorney's Office have with the White House? And Ms. Fox, we will start with you with one minute. Thank you. Uh, this administration has taken on the Trump administration and his fear-mongering policies that has been meant to send people into the shadows. I want to be clear and unequivocal. While the First Step Act uh, was a significant piece of legislation at the federal level, it pales in comparison to the work that needs to be done on the ground here. This is a president, through his tactics, that has had ICE agents standing on the steps of courthouses that causes fear from victims and those who need to come to court to testify on our behalf from coming forward. It then required for us not to sit passively by and be angry that the president was doing this. We took the action directly to him. We are, in fact, prepared to go to the Supreme Court in the coming weeks to fight him on the public charge case. I believe that we should be respectful of all of our agencies of government. I think this particular government official has not been respectful, has racist and xenophobic policies, and it is my responsibility as the chief law enforcement officer of Cook County to hold him to account. I don't care right. that he's the president. 
Thank you. Ms. Moore, your comments about the relationship between the White House and the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. One minute. Look, I'll take help in terms of resources and money from the federal government, but I don't think the Cook County State's Attorney needs to do the bidding for the federal government. But what we do need, what we do need help is, when we talk about the criminal justice system, the goal here is to keep people out of the criminal justice system. So if we can get federal help to actually go back into our communities and put in programs that help people to keep them out of our system, or if we can get money from the federal government that helps revive our pr prison system so we're not having repeat offenders out, uh, and going back into the prison system, then that helps the criminal justice in Cook County. And I'm happy to work with the federal government on that. All right, Mr. Conway, your thoughts about the relationship between the White House and the state's attorney's office? I will, I will happily work with the U.S. attorney's office, but we are going to have no relationship with, with the current occupant in the White House. Uh, I, and I will make sure that our county is not using any resources to assist, uh, assist in, in ICE raids and things like that. So we, so that victims and witnesses uh, know that they can come forward, come forward without fear of retribution. And I will say something else. Nothing irritates me so much as that when our president compares Chicago to Afghanistan. As somebody who has been there, Afghanistan is a brutal, war-torn, war-torn nation. And Chicago is a beautiful, vibrant city. We have, we, of course we have our challenges, but it is nothing compared to, to war-torn Afghanistan. All right, Mr. Fioretti, your thoughts about the relationship between the White House and the state's attorney's office? You know, listening to the comments, um, I sit here, I stand here, I listen. Uh, we need to do what we can to stop crime in the city of Chicago. We, not, we need to stop the violence in the city of Chicago. Our streets are stained with blood. Whatever resources we can get out of the federal government, we will get from our elected representatives in Congress, our two senators who will work to make sure we can bring back money to fight the drug and crime epidemic that we face here in the city of Chicago. We can talk all we want about how bad Trump is, but that's usually a leftist approach that says, well, you know what, I have a failing policies, I might as well blame the president. I have a failing policy, I might as well blame the Justice Department. We see that over and over again. And time has come that we need to work together and solve the problems of this city and not worry about Washington, D.C. All right, thank I you, may, Mr. Fiori. If Come I on. may respond, I think the, the blaming of the, the president for failed policies 30 is seconds, directed Ms. at me. And it's not true. This president, immediately upon taking office, uh, issued a travel ban. This president, immediately upon taking office, emboldened ICE to show up uh, and do these unexpected raids. This president uh, put forth the public charge rule that would send many of our undocumented residents into the shadows. And it is the responsibility as the chief law enforcement officer to do something about it. Now, Mr. Conway, in his righteousness about the president, is also failing to tell you that his donors are also President Trump donors. All right. Mr. Conway, 30 seconds Thank for you. Thank you very much. You know, uh, I certainly can't control who, who my donors give, give to, but I, I can certainly tell you that that Ms. Fox takes money from, from her donors give money to Republicans too. Heck, we all know that Dan Webb gave her money as came out, who was speaking of a Republican. Uh, but I will tell you, people are supporting me all over this county because they, my message regarding balancing our criminal justice reform efforts, getting after our gun crime epidemic, and getting politics out of the office is resonating everywhere. Ms. Fox, 30 seconds. Yeah, Mr. Conway, in all of his rhetoric, is, is leaving behind the point 
that the Carlisle Group and those who are funding 90% of his campaign are loyal and staunch Trump supporters. And the reality is when he says that he's offended by Trump's rhetoric about Afghanistan, that is how he introduced himself to this community. That is the, the same rhetoric that he used talking about fighting the Taliban and fighting gangs in Chicago, coming from a neighborhood that has been impacted by violence. We don't need militarization. We need to empower those neighborhoods to be safe. All right, thank you. Tamak. A wide-ranging corruption scandal has ensnared nearly half a dozen politicians and aides here in Chicago and the greater Cook County area with the promise of more indictments to come. Should the state's attorney's office be playing a bigger role in investigating these cases and bringing charges? One minute, Ms. Moore, we'll start with you. Yes. Uh, as a former assistant United States attorney, I, I look at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office and I'm shocked that given a $3 billion plus budget, we can't find a public corruption case to indict in Cook County. But that's because the relationship of machine politics. You can't indict people who are part of the machine because the machine is what puts you in office. So we, when, when Mr. Conway talks about putting politics out of the office, his family's company is the master of pay to play. They came into Illinois paid off politicians to play, to give them the investment funds uh, from the teacher's pension. So I'm the independent up here. I'm not tied to a political machine. I'm not tied to a billionaire's ATM. And that's what we need as our top prosecutors. We need an office that is based on fairness and justice and not politics and money. I wanted to go right down the line, but we'll skip to Mr. Conway. There was an attack there. One minute. Thank you. Well, you know, we can all surmise why the state's attorney's office it, it does not today prosecute public corruption. When you have the fact that the state's attorney has taken, taken money from indicted Alderman Ed Burke, indicted state senator uh, Marty Sandoval, and safe speed, she is obviously part of the entrenched political machine that we have. And I can promise you that because the, when I get in office, the machine will not have put me there, I will be ready to dismantle it. And we are going to do it by first we're going to form a strong relationship with the inspectors general that exists throughout. Right now, you know, there's like 11 of them. They go to the U.S. Attorney's Office. They take one or, two, one or two out of 10 cases. They come to the state's attorney's office. They don't take any of them. So we're going to have a strong relationship with them. And these cases are well worked up, having worked in that unit. That's the first thing. The second thing is there will be a, we will make sure that there is a ability for whistleblowers to reach out to the state's attorneys directly. And that will be staffed by the felony review assistant that's in, that's in the public corruption unit for that week. We'll also staff the... Uh, All right. Thank you very much, Ms. Fox. We heard an attack yeah. and, and also uh, addressed the public corruption issue. Certainly. Mr. Conway uh, touted in his opening statements that he worked in our public corruption unit, and he will tell you, if allowed, uh, the time that he went after corruption in Hanover Park. What I want us to realize is that the state's attorney's office, with a mandate of 5.4 million people and a violent crime issue in representing civil, that department is small. We don't have an independent agency like the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, who has a unit that is for public corruption. We do have a unit where we go after those in local municipalities for corruption. It is not at the same level as the feds. And I think it's disingenuous, particularly from those who have worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, 
to suggest that we have the same resources to do that. But let's take that at face value, if you will. We are expected to make sure that our communities are, are kept safe, that we're also representing the county as their lawyer of record, as well as go after those um, who are harming our, our, our citizens. That's why we can't focus on low-level, nonviolent offenses and need to direct our resources where they're absolutely needed. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Ferretti. Well, first of all, what I've heard is, and I would be, I wouldn't be on this platform here to say, oh no, we, we're not going to do anything. I've seen what happens with public corruption. And I think the best place to handle large cases of public corruption is the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI. I worry about our judicial system. I worry about how people are selected and elected in our judicial system. The party uh, demands a forty or $50,000 payment to be slated. And so the corruption is ingrained in what happens. And so when we talk about how and what and when, I want to make sure that we work effectively, efficiently with all of our resources with the federal government on public corruption because they have been the ones leading in the forefront and they are the ones who are not bought by anybody here. All right. Thank you very much. Paul? All right. And this will be our final question. Um, plenty of TV shows out there that portray and dramatize the inner workings of the criminal justice system. If you were to design a show that accurately depicted how things work in Chicago, what would you call it? What would, you, what would it look like? And you have 30 seconds, and we're going to walk down the line, and we'll start with you, Mr. Oh, Conway. Oh, jeez. You know, I mean, of course, I think, I think about The Wire, and, and so, and I, of course, wouldn't design what it's good, but if you had had a show that involves the, uh, the politicians as well as the, the, the prosecutor's office and the police department, and the communities and how everything works together. That would be a show. Uh, that would be a show about Chicago. That would be fantastic. But hopefully, it would be as good as The Wire. But uh, we'll have to see one day. All right, Mr. <laughs> Fioretti, thirty seconds for you. What would I, the name of your show be, and what would it be like? I think it's called "Where's Mine," and, and what happens with politicians in this city and those that are elected. They, people get elected to these offices, and they think they can make money outside. I mean, half of the people I wouldn't even hire uh, for any job. I, you have to think about what we're doing. They look at it, they want the money, and, and it would be a, a, the public defenders, the city, uh, the mayor, the politicians, the state's attorney, everybody in the show called What's, Where's Mine? All right, Ms. Fox, you're designing a show. What's its name and what does it look like? It's going to be called Chicago Hope because only in a place like Chicago could a girl from Cabrini-Green rise to become the first African-American woman to lead the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. It's why our criminal justice system has to make sure that every neighborhood has every child in it have the opportunity to live and thrive. I know that the solutions to gun violence isn't by anybody here on this stage. It isn't law enforcement. It's people in the neighborhoods who need to have the empowerment and the resources to be able to keep their community safe. I know it's possible because it happened to me, and it's an honor to serve in this role. All right. Thank you, ma'am. And Ms. Moore, the name of your TV show, and what would it look like? 30 seconds. My TV show is going to be called Enough. And it's going to be a show about the uprising of a community who has had enough of pay to play, who has had enough of scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, and who finally coalesce around a, a, a government that is actually for the people and by the people and not by corruption and politicians. 
All right, I thank you. All of your programming ideas will be sent to <laughs> <laughs> programming. Might get some new shows out of this. Mine's been made already. Yeah. So. <laughs> and that's going to bring us to the end of our debate with the Democratic candidates for Cook County State's Attorney. Early voting is already underway. Election Day is March 17th. Next week, the two Republican candidates vying for their party's nomination square off right here on WGN. And we thank you for watching. Good night.